You're listening to Meanwhile, Episode 9. Today we're talking about how to give direct yet caring feedback to others by examining a hot new framework out there called Radical Candor. We give it a few props, but we also talk about where we think it falls short, leaving you with a more nuanced sense of how to successfully give the honest feedback people just sometimes need to hear. As always, thanks for spending a little time with us to laugh, think, and learn a new thing or two. Let's get started. Alrighty, man. Michael Melcher. We meet again. Hey, Michael Terrell. Here we are on President's Day. President's Day. Three-day weekend for most, not for us. we got a podcast to make. No, got a podcast to make and a world to change. I'm here in my office in sunny New York City, which is sunny. Yeah, it's unseasonably warm and beautiful. Not um, gross and despairing the way it often is. Yeah, <laughs> I've got I've got the gross and despairing uh, covered out here on the West Coast. For you did you, good. So we're, good. We're I was out. I was internally gross and despairing last week because my kids got a stomach bug and then I got the Ugh. same thing. Ugh. But now Ugh. we're all better. You just sent it into the air and it drifted over here to the West Coast. I yes, our our next. house our apartment is a vomit free. So that's <laughs> that's always a plus. Well, award of the day. <laughs> You're already winning. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so now that we've been publicly launched, uh, we've been getting assorted messages, including occasional fan meal. And one listener observed that in our first episode, we pledged to give an award um, for some kind of positive behavior right. consistent with our podcast themes each episode. And noted that we had not done that since episode one. And so we're acknowledging that and deciding that we don't really care. And we're probably not going to give awards. But we might think of some other clever conceit. Um, So stay with us on that one. We reserve the right to update it. For now, I'm just going to give you the Vomit Free Household Award. Thank you. And let the be, it, it's the Be Strong Daddy Award. The Be Strong Daddy Award. Yeah. There you go. I definitely I won that, yeah. Yes. All right, so let's get into it. Now, moving from the ridiculous to the sublime, today we're going to take on a big, juicy, sexy, contemporary hot topic in the world of coaching, leadership, development, talent development, and general work improvement. And the topic is radical candor, which is really just a fancy framework or name for a feedback approach. Radical candor is something that a woman named Kim Scott developed who worked at Google and a bunch of other tech companies and now has a book coming out and a website and several trademarked products and services. And there was an article rolling around Medium, I think last year, about radical candor. And there's a little two-by-two matrix that goes along with it. And so people um, have grabbed onto this and have been talking about it. And we're going to assess what it is and where it's useful and whether we like it. So, Michael T., uh, describe for us what radical candor is and give us a sense of this two-by-two matrix that um, defines what's radical candor and what are all the things that are not radical candor that are to be avoided. Happy to. So, imagine you're drawing two intersecting lines, an x-axis going horizontally, a y-axis going vertically, produce sort of a four-quadranted chart, or in other words, a two-by-two matrix of sorts. I want you to imagine on this vertical y-axis that we label that axis, or Kim would label that axis, caring personally, okay? And on the x-axis that goes horizontally is uh, the degree in which you're able to challenge directly. So if you can picture this, it it creates these four quadrants. and, And let's start with the big meaty one, which she calls radical candor. And so that's in the upper right quadrant. It's where caring personally and challenging directly 
overlap. So I both care about you and I'm willing to challenge you. I am radically candid with you. Okay, so that's box number one. As we rotate clockwise down, so our lower right one where we have, I don't really care personally, but I still challenge, uh, challenge directly. She calls that obnoxious aggression. Moving our way to the bottom left quadrant where you have a lack of caring personally as well as a lack of challenging directly. She calls that manipulative insincerity. And then in the upper left quadrant, which is where caring personally intersects with uh, not challenging directly, she calls that ruinous empathy. And I want to point out that each of these has a little trademark symbol after them. So maybe right. we should say radical candor, TM, obnoxious aggression, TM, etc. Although as a former <laughs> lawyer, I have some doubts about whether these are in fact um, intellectually protectable, but we'll leave that for another day. So Michael, we've got it laid out for folks. Tell us why this matters and how it's useful. The model would suggest that these two things are both important, that you care personally and you challenge directly when you give feedback. Um, so feedback is often about blind spots. It's sharing uh, what other people don't see. And the idea is that if you don't challenge directly, then people are never going to get the benefit of whatever observations or wisdom you have. They'll be kind of flying blind and they'll um, just continue on, and then one day either they won't improve or there'll be a kind of ugly wake-up call. Um, and so you really need to be able to challenge directly in order to provide this. But the other side is that you actually have to care, because if you're just going around critiquing people all day long and telling them they're inadequate, um, you're being kind of a jerk, and it probably just doesn't work because we're human beings and we don't want people just berating us all the time. So this is kind of a quick and neat way of assessing both how you are as a person, but maybe how the culture of the organization you work in is. So for instance, I've worked with certain uh, foundations and um, NGOs that have what I would call a harmonizing culture. So it's really important for people to share harmony um, and build it, and they may avoid uh, conversations that could get in the way of that. Therefore, they might not have as direct communication as they can. On the other hand, I've also worked in cultures that that pride themselves on being no-nonsense and giving lots of feedback and making tough decisions. But what they'll tend to do is just overload people with constant criticism. They're never good enough, and people eventually kind of wilt and emotionally collapse under that. So the model is, is good in the sense that it helps us to examine what might, what might be missing in whatever culture we're in or what types of behaviors are a little bit harder for us to access. So, Michael T., why is this model, which has been getting a lot of attention, considered this huge breakthrough in the world of management leadership? Well, I don't, I don't know. That's why I want yeah. to ask you. Well, and hopefully we can figure it out together a little bit because I have some questions about it too. But the, you, you said earlier that it came out on Medium. She actually, Kim Scott, the author of all this, gave a talk at first round reviews sort of annual conference. She gave like a 20 minute talk on this topic. And that's what's subsequently been shared, you know tens of thousands of times. And people like and, me who don't know what first round review is, please tell us what it is. It sounds yeah, first something techie. It's techie. It's based out here. First round capital uh, VC out here in Silicon Valley has a publication online called the first round review. And they do a lot of really great sort of in-depth content on all sorts of 
startup and company building topics. And they host this conference. I think it's annual. I'm not sure. It's like she, Ted, Ted before Ted became over. Yes, exactly. It's the, it's <laughs> it's the like new Ted. It's Teddy. Ted 2006. Yes. <laughs> it's the Teddy's uh, first round reviews conference. And she was one of the keynotes at this, I think a, over a year ago and shared this framework, 20 minute talk. And that's the link that's been shared, uh, you know, many, many times. So is it correct to surmise that the initial buzz for this came out of the tech world um, and like the VC startup world? Yes. That's okay. it. That's correct. Not surprised. Uh, please continue. Yes. So if we're to take a, a few stabs as to why this has been spreading like wildfire, at least out here, my hunch would be that it's because folks sort of see a new path as managers and bosses when they see this simple framework. Uh, most people can relate to this idea of, gosh, I want to push my people. Or I want to challenge or I need to just be cut and dry. Um, or, like you said, there are other organizations, people who have this very people-first, friendly, caring sort of approach to the way they lead and manage. And her framework here says you don't have to be one or the other. You can actually do both. And when you do both, the magic happens. And there's something about that, I think, that appeals to people and be like, ah, this is a way for me to fit these pieces together, still be hard and hard-lined and results-oriented, but also be a human. And all I need to do is be radically candid. Right. But what's interesting about her model is that she has a sort of hierarchy in which squares should come after right. um, the radical candor square if you're not quite able to get there. And that's where it gets interesting. So tell yes. us about that. Yeah, that's where the hair on my next stands up a little bit. So in this talk, she she talks about the radical candor, this upper right quadrant being the ideal, you know, the thing we should all aspire to. But as she talks about it, she acknowledges that it can take a lot of work to to build a trusting relationship, to really care personally, and then to really find that skillful way to challenge somebody directly and effectively. And as she talks through it, she says, you know, if you can't be radically candid, at least err on the side of continuing to challenge directly. And if you've got to be in the obnoxious aggression quadrant, then so be it. That's the second best option. So it's better to be obnoxiously aggressive than to be ruinously empathic or manipulatively right. insincere. <laughs> right. That's Of all your remaining crappy options, choose this one first. <laughs> right, because presumably you're at least providing some truth to people and they'll benefit. And even though their feelings will be bruised, um, they'll have the benefit of learning that and they can get better. That's the theory. That's the theory. And you know, you, you asked, why do I think this has taken off? I can't help but presume that this ordering is part of the appeal as well, because I can imagine if I'm a, a results driven sort of straight shooting tech leader and I'm hearing, Hey, I should be radically candid. I need to challenge people directly and care personally. But you know what? When you can't care personally, at least you keep challenging directly. I'm right. Like, yes. And Perfect. and you are you're doing better things there in this model than if you are the ruinously um empathic person. If you are just right. being nice and sharing and supporting but not giving direct feedback. So it validates um, right. one style of working and it invalidates another. And it's also interesting that uh, ruinous is a worse word when you're thinking about results that either manipulative or obnoxious. So only, totally. only empathy gets the ruinous word. So you, 
you've articulated one problem I have with that, um, which is that even though this is a model that um, appears to be balanced and independent and not favoring any side, I actually think that it does favor a very particular point of view. And if we look at uh, other types of personality models, there's a very well-known one called type, often known as a Myers-Briggs type indicator. And one of the key distinctions looks at is whether people are thinkers or feelers. So these are both thinking styles um, but basically, thinkers prefer to make decisions based on logic, cause and effect, and so forth. And feelers will tend to make decisions based on the impact on other people or strongly held personal values. So this model is very strong on the thinker side. And what I know from experience is that thinkers predominate in tech. They predominate in banking, management consulting, law. And you will be part of the majority if you're if you're a thinker. And so it's essentially saying that your natural impulses as a thinker, which on the positive side are to be logical and straightforward, and on the negative side are to insist that everybody just get over it and enough with the stupid feelings and grow up and deal with it, um, that that's actually a the more valid concern as opposed to the feeler side, which is okay, I need to really connect and be supportive and build trust and um, make sure people are okay with the message and gradually uh, work on on that foundation. Right. And this is a choice. It, it's a choice of a particular style, but it doesn't really represent the totality of how human beings are in the workplace. Right. Well, and it's interesting as Kim shares this framework in her talk, she talks about a company she's run in the past and how it was in certain ways undone by her management style of being too... She calls it ruinous empathy. I think it's actually just being uh, ruinous harmony, something <laughs> you alluded to earlier. I actually don't think empathy is is a ruinous attribute uh, or is accurately worded in her framework, but being too harmonizing as a manager and not giving the real feedback to folks and ultimately that being a factor that contributed to the downfall of her business. And so I can't help but see the way she's emphasized uh, what's important in this model. That is, if you can't be caring personally and challenging directly, at least continue to challenge directly as being sort of a direct result of sort of the way in which she's been burned in her past. So the other thing that that brings up is that when you look at this model, you have to either think, is this a point in time or is it something that occurs over a longer period of time? Mm -hmm. um, and totally. she kind of hints at that when she says, if you can't be caring personally at least challenging directly in that moment. It seems to suggest that there's going to come a moment where you have the opportunity to give feedback or feel like you need to give it. Right. And you're making a choice in that moment. And yeah, you might not have the trust or the patience or the ability to craft the message in a way that somebody can hear it because trust takes time. It's not something that you develop right. immediately. And you don't just say, oh, by the way, I care personally and that's why I'm about to lay into you right now. <laughs> but then that becomes an excuse because what you really need, like I, I would probably be more into this model if it would say over the next three years, um, here's how you want to develop. And so let's look at all the ingredients that have to go into that. So we have the ingredients on the challenging side where you need to observe clearly and be specific and create clear messages and probably repeat those messages. And then mm -hmm. there's the investment you have to make on the care personally side, which is you have to care about other people and you have to put time into the relationship and you have to have non-transactional experiences with people and you actually have to take an interest into them. And all right. those together will be build a situation where you can achieve this radical candor. But if you don't have 
either one of those ingredients, then why would you be able to suddenly hit radical candor in the moment? Well, and that's that's the big concern I have with the framework is that, and when I see it, you know, the, the link being shared like wildfire out here is, hey, guys, let's all be, and gals, let's be more radically candid. But there's this big gap into, okay, how do we actually care personally over time? How do we build that sense of trust that's going to enable us to be really directly challenging with people in a way that doesn't, like you said, slowly erode them. What do you think are the best ways to develop this trust over time? Well, there are a lot of things that come to mind. One thing that is really effective is to take notice of people. And actually, so if somebody on Friday says, hey, I'm going to a concert with my boyfriend this weekend, to ask them on Monday, hey, how how is the concert? Remembering little details from their lives and then asking them about those things subsequently. Um, taking stock or notice of what people are interested in or care about in terms of their professional development and then surfacing those opportunities to them. Say, hey, I, I know you're really interested in getting better as a public speaker. Um, I saw this link uh, to this event tomorrow night. Why don't you go do that and leave work a little early? Or sharing about yourself personally with other people, choosing to actually disclose or share something about your life or what's happening with your kids. You know, my twins, they're growing like weeds and vomited all over the apartment last week. It was, it was gnarly. You know, choosing to make those shares uh, on your end as well is a way to, to build that. So what about all, well, all of these are understanding the other person as a person. One thing you've said is that you need empathy in order to even understand how people are going to take candid feedback. Um, People are different and you deal with people as they are and not as you think they should be, but as they are. And if your feedback can't connect with them based on who they are in the moment, it's not going to be good feedback and you can rail against it and think that they should be different or grown up or not as damaged as they are. But you know, we are who we are. And so if you really want to reach me, you need to kind of at least try to calculate What's going to be the most effective way of connecting with me? Have I ever told you told you about this idea in law called the eggshell plaintiff? No. Okay. So, Dime mas. so in law school, you learn this concept called the eggshell plaintiff. And the case is that somebody is like driving along hazardously and then they crash into somebody else. Um, but it turns out the person they crash into has epilepsy. And so instead of merely being slightly damaged by the car crash, they're significantly damaged and then they uh, sue the crasher for damages. And the crasher mm-hmm. says, well, I, ha- I had no way of knowing that you'd have epilepsy. That's not really my fault. So I should only have to pay for what what a reasonably expected type of crash victim would have. And the judge who wrote the eggshell plaintiff case said, no, you you deal with people as they are. And so if you happen to um, mm-hmm. crash into somebody who's effectively an L egg, eggshell, note, uh, we are not applying modern judgments where we probably wouldn't compare somebody with epilepsy to an eggshell. This is from uh, the 19th century, probably, or early 20th century. So it's part of the Sidebar. case law. Sidebar. Um, so you just deal with people as they are. And and that is a good uh, lesson for for management because people are different and we are who we are. And in any given moment, you just have to deal with somebody as they are. And you can't insist that they behave according to what you think normal people should behave like. And by the way, often the way we think normal people should behave are the way that we ourselves behave. Mm -hmm. Well, and I just want to double down on putting the stake in the ground for empathy here and and say that I, I agree with everything you just said. 
And I find it, one of the things she says is that radical candor is hip and it's this silly okay. sort of long acronym. That's enough reason to bring back my children's vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the hippest framework around. That's why it's so popular. <laughs> it's hip. And what she, she says is that stands for it's humble, it's helpful. So two H's. It's immediate, in person. So two I's. And then it's private if it's criticism. It's public if it's praise. And then she, the last thing she says, and then it's not personal. So, so it's, actually it's pronounced hip and hip. Hip and the so rattle candor yeah. is hip. Crazy acronym. We're going to get to more of that in a second. But the last bit of that, she calls it not personal, is, you know, that's only, you're only able to achieve that if you actually have a lot of empathetic skill, right? So to your point, directly, you deal with people where they are. For me to be effective, effectively radically candid with you uh, and, and to challenge you directly in a way that is not personal, note that I can't ultimately control whether or not you take it personally as a result of what I say, right? That's not, as much as I'd love to believe as the feedback giver, that I can completely control whether you, Michael Melcher, take what I say personally, that's actually got a lot to do with you and how you process the world and how you react to me. So what helps maximize my chances for you not taking my feedback personally is for me to really empathetically understand you and know how you are and what sort of communication style works best for you. And to then challenge you directly, but thoughtfully based on how I know you to be. So just to, to give empathy a, a slap on the back here, I think to move it out of that ruinous, good God, don't be here category and actually say empathy is super essential to being effective at giving radically candid feedback uh, is, is a claim I want to make and, and put that flag in the ground. Well, uh, it's not, it's not just us. Um, Cause it turns out that there are other uh, hot Ted speakers with two by two matrices <laughs> that validate what you right. just said. So Amy Cuddy, who is uh, another Ted superstar and a professor at Harvard business school has an influential article out called connect then lead. And she looks pretty much at the same variables from a point of view of having influence. And her two-by-two matrix looks at warmth on one axis and strength on another. So warmth means warmth, connectedness, empathy. Strength refers more to competence and confidence. And you also get four different boxes, um, the best one being where you're both warm and strong or connected and competent. And the other boxes are inferior versions of that. But she specifically states you have to start with connection. That if you cannot, if people don't like you, they're not going to be ready to like your message. And so it's not a nice to have. It's really a must have if you want to be an influential person. So it's not just us. There are other people out there. Right. And not only does she think it's important, but the order that Amy Cuddy puts those in directly contradicts Kim Scott's take on it all, which is Amy Cuddy would say it's first important to connect through warmth uh, and then you know lead with competence or, or directness or confidence afterwards. Whereas Kim Scott's take on it uh, with radical candor is, you know, if the the warmth and connection piece is too much of a of a struggle in a given moment, certainly just go to the 
competence and to that obnoxious aggression as sort of a second best choice. So they're, they're in conflict with one another. And uh, it's nice to have Amy Cuddy having our backs on this one. Yeah. So I want to go back to hip. Uh, speaking of obnoxiousness, um, both the idea of something called hip and also quick acronyms. So far be it for me to disdain an acronym. I would love to think up some good acronyms that I could throw around in my own work. <laughs> but here's here's the the thing that bugs me about radical candor and various other thinkers in the field that put together models and then slap little TM symbols next to them. Right. People have been talking about feedback and communication for a really long time. And I wouldn't say in general there's much new under the sun. So Center for Creative Leadership talks about feedback. They have something called the SBI model, which means situation behavior impact. The Harvard Negotiations Project talks about feedback. They have a model called difficult conversations. There is a relatively old thing called the Johari window, which talks about what's known to yourself and known to others. That's also a feedback model. My firm, Nexa Partners, we have a feedback model we call shared intent, which is starting with what uh, a goal that you both share that's positive. And then certain people have gone into much more depth. For example, Keegan and Leahy at Harvard, who wrote this book called Immunity to Change, will look at some of the things that might get in the way of a person uh, trying to either be more direct or more empathetic. So it's not as if no one has ever been talking about this stuff. And by and large, it's it's what we all talk about. Um, it's basic human behavior. But what kind of bugs me is that in our field, even though most people do it because we love it, there's a fair amount of insecurity. And I think the insecurity comes from, I'm working in soft skills. In many cases, I used to work on hard skills. And even though I really believe in this, I'm fearful that people won't take me seriously. So I'm looking around for anything that will make me sound scientific or more business-like or really just more credible. Because on some level, I don't love myself enough. And I feel it's very comparable to gay men who have personal ads that describe themselves as straight acting, uh, to which I think, why do you hate yourself if you use those words? So I kind of feel that in our field, it's enough just to say, hey, here's a technique. Why not try it? Or here's something to look at. Give it a run. As opposed to looking for pseudoscientific methods, strict models, two-by-two matrices with trademark symbols, or, God help us, brain image maps that supposedly show how the neurochemistry beneath all these practices really works. I think it's all a big distraction, and we should just focus on the work and stop trying to prove to other people that we are worthy of love. That's the end of my Jeremiah. Um, further thoughts from you, <laughs> Boom. Michael, Michael T. <laughs> I just dropped my mic on the ground. <laughs> did, you hear, did you hear it rattling around? Because I use the word Jeremiah. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was, that was it. That was, that was where it really slipped out of my head. <laughs> Any further uh, thoughts from you? <laughs> yeah, further thoughts. Well, I, you know, it's, I relate to that personally as you're talking and about those moments where we're trying to validate this work that we know to be true because we've seen it play out. Uh, you and I have seen it play out in our lives and, and have the good fortune to see it play out with clients weekly and similarly have that sort of resistance when I see things sort of over-trademarked and over-packaged to be a simplistic IP reduction of what's actually a pretty complicated topic. Now, one thought going through my mind is I wanted to come to Kim Scott's defense a little bit here too, which is to say, I've never met this woman. 
my sense is she's probably lovely. And in fact, it's funny as we prepared to do this podcast, she, her name has cropped up in a couple of recent conversations. I was meeting with a friend. We sat down uh, in a park South San Francisco, and he runs um, a company, a kind of a hot startup. There are several hundred employees, and he he happened to mention, yeah, we've got a bunch of employees off at a radical candor day long session with Kim Scott today. And it's like, oh, how fascinating! I'm going to be talking about it with Michael Melcher in a week. Yeah, uh, and then similarly had a, had another conversation with this business partner of mine who do do education workshops and things like that, and she's going to be coming in there to to do a version of her talk. And so I don't, I've not met this woman, and my guess is she would agree with us on some level that it's hard to reduce these complicated interpersonal feedback exchanges to a simple two by two matrix. Uh, they can, you know, some, all models are flawed. <laughs> some are useful is something I, one of my mentors likes to say, and that feels true about this. And I, I, I wonder uh, how much she would agree with me. I on think that. she'd I, say that. I think Kim Sock would say, "You guys need to take a look in the mirror and go listen to episode two of a podcast called Meanwhile, which is about the subject of career envy. Look into right. it." No, we don't really think that. <laughs> I wish her love and happiness and scalable revenue models and more VC <laughs> funding and sunshine and bunnies. Um, I will say one more thing, though. <laughs> Speaking from the East Coast here, yeah, um, I don't think we need more lessons on management from people who work in tech companies, including Google, Facebook, Apple. Hopefully, yeah, I'm that? driving out any future clients here. Yeah, <laughs> um, because yeah, they're kind of interesting and new, and everyone's a smart who works there. But I think the people who know the most about management are the ones that actually have to just deal with normal human beings as opposed to human beings who went to Princeton and won mm. the Intel science competition before they got their job at sure. some vec- venture back startup. I think the people who know both most about management are one, the U S military, number two, Procter and Gamble, number three, Home Depot, number four, any large company that just has to work with ordinary people and make them mm. good contributors, good team members, good managers, good leaders. And these large organizations, uh, special call out to the U S military, who by the way is very into Myers-Briggs type indicator. They <laughs> do the real work of figuring it out and dealing with people as they are. Um, and it's, you know, it's a lot of blocking and tackling and experimenting and listening and moving ahead. And it's not all that glamorous, but I feel like those are the ones that have really come up with a lot of the the good insight about how you really develop people. Well, that's good food for thought and maybe a topic of another podcast for us to explore some of their approaches. I'd be pumped to talk about that. Coming back to Kim Scott's model and and wanting to leave it with just a little more nuance. I alluded to this earlier, but I there's some pieces of this that I really like. I appreciate her attempt to try to get managers, maybe even if they're just the managers of the high achievers of the world, to push themselves in the ideal sense towards both caring personally and still challenging directly and saying what needs to be said. But but I alluded to this change earlier, and I just want to reemphasize it. And it's to actually remove from the last quadrant that she calls ruinous empathy, to remove the word empathy there. That just sticks in your craw, doesn't it? It does. As somebody who spends <laughs> 98% of his time coaching on topics that involve empathy in some way, there's one change I'd love to see her make to this, and it would be to replace the word empathy in that last quadrant where she says ruinous empathy with the word harmonizing, so that it read ruinous harmonizing instead. Because I think that's really what she's talking about. You know, that, that impulse 
we have to make everything friendly and harmonious. And we don't end up saying the, the direct important stuff. So I think that's more accurate because as we said earlier, empathy is essential to being effective, uh, effectively radically candid. And to Kim Scott, I would just say, and you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome, Kim. I'll put my, ph- my phone number in the show notes. Call me. So that was awesome. A good mitzvah you've just done. So let's move move to our homework. Our homework this week is to make use of the good aspects of the radical candor model. We'd like you to jot down your thoughts to two things. Number one, name three people you know who you think should just get over it. In other words, you don't really want to spend a lot of time being empathetic. You just want them to hear the feedback, stop being the way they're being, So write down these names and then ask yourself, what could you do with these three individuals to build trust um, and caring and empathy so that you could actually deliver a message? And the second thing is to name three situations where you've been either indirect or avoidant. In other words, where you haven't challenged directly, you might have been a bit over-empathetic. Or we'll call it maybe over-harmonious. Over-harmonious, thank you. Yes, And what is a clear message that you could deliver that would actually help them in these situations where you've been indirect or avoidant? That's your homework. It's a tall order, but you'll do it and you'll love it. And uh, keep sending us fan letters. We love them. Keep downloading. Tell everyone about our podcast. We do love those letters. We cherish them. Thanks all. We'll see you next time, Michael Melcher. All right, Michael T. uh, Keep it up. (laughs) 